All right, if you're joining us uh, and you weren't here last week, we're in week two of a new series that we're calling Worthy. And I hope, I hope you noticed this morning, um, we're singing some declaration songs this morning. I am blessed, I am healed, I am called, I am whole. Um, he's filled me, he's anointed me. And, and so chapter, this, the second part of chapter one that we're hitting today is really all about knowing him and what that means to know us. Knowing him equals knowing who we are. And so um, as, as we start this morning, can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you to stand with me as we kind of open up and read the scripture? You can um, either pull out your Bible and open it to chapter one or else it'll also be on the screen. So we're on this journey through the book of Ephesians together. And if you hadn't started yet, I encourage you to jump in. Ephesians is a, is a, a book in the Bible that just has just six chapters and uh, we're going through it together. Get a friend or two. Um, text each other. You can use the Bible app and do it together that way on Bible.com. Um, but let's jump in and go on this journey together. So I want to start reading in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. And it says this. Uh, okay, it's not on the screen. Okay, <laughs> we'll get that. But um, I'll read it to you. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Amen. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and sealed him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, let your word seep into our hearts this morning. God, I ask that you would speak deeply and directly into our spirit, man, this morning. Um, your words, not mine. In your heavenly name, in your holy name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So... Let me tell you a little story. That I'm sure you're getting lots of insight to who I am <laughs> as, we, as we go on this journey together. But I, I want to give you a little bit of a, maybe a deeper insight. I'm a little bit OCD. I have some tendencies. And um, so, hello, my name is Sean, right? <laughs> and and this, is, this, is, this is who I am. So I like things to be lined up. I like things to, to be looking good. I like uniformity and order. Is anybody else in the house just willing to just st stick their hand up and say that with me? Okay, there's a few of you. And, and so when I was a youth pastor just most recently at Pine Valley Church in Bayfield, Colorado, I would stock the refrigerator. And here's a picture of the refrigerator after I stocked it. Um, you notice how all of the labels are front and center. That's the way it should be. <laughs> And, and then to make sure that all, they're all lined up and turned to the front. And of course, you know, five minutes into youth group, it would not look like that. But when I set up the candy bars, they were lined up very neat and orderly, perfect lines and order. Okay. And when I, you get the picture. When I was, when I was a security officer, 
um, in Bible college. I worked the late shift and, and um, we worked in this multi-million dollar facility, Lone Star Gas, that did the natural gas for all of Dallas. And so big, big uh, marble building with lots of, I mean, um, incredible people, but just incredible architecture and, and, you know, money invested in this place. And so I worked at the front lobby sometimes. And when you're, when you're there, there's these sign, sign in clipboards for the employees as they come in. And the officers kind of noticed that I would always, I mean, like, first thing when I'd get on the shift, I would straighten those puppies up, you know, I would, I would make sure that they were lined up and perpendicular with all the lines, and I would do that. So after a while, the guys would come by and they would just turn it ever so slightly. <laughs> and then they would take bets to see how long it would take for me to straighten it up. And it was normally within 30 seconds <laughs> uh, until I picked up on what they were doing. So, so when Pastor Brentana started talking to Deanna and I about taking on the role of lead plasters here at Destiny, I immediately started thinking about the software called Planning Center on Online. And some of you guys know what that is because you're volunteers here at Destiny on, on Sunday morning and you've probably been scheduled on Planning Center. And, you know, so some of you have had some experience with this. So I heard about Planning Center about, about six years ago from a friend. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's an online service that allows you to put service orders together and it streamlines volunteer scheduling with a drag and drop process. It makes it so easy, automatically sending out reminders to your team manages block out dates, uh, volunteers can set their scheduling preferences, you know, allows the worship leader, uh, Brent and I, we can attach MP3s and chord charts with every song, so it's there, the, the musicians can rehearse, it's all in one place, um, we're doing away with paper chord charts, we're going to be saving money there, it, 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 was, it, was, it was such a, I, when I heard about it, it was like music to my ears, right? It's very organized and it sounded very polished to me. And so it, in other words, it was beautiful to me and it was music to my ears. And so when I, when I was hired on full-time as worship pastor in Denver at, a, at North Rock Church, um, our four-square church down there, they were already utilizing Planning Center and I was, I was so happy to, to just dive into it. And I dove in and I loved it and uh, it made everything so much easier. I had never experienced that before. It streamlined so much much and I immediately regretted every second I had done ministry without it. No, maybe not that. <laughs> but that's what it felt like. And I was like, this is so cool. And, and so it was that helpful, you know, as resources go, it's especially to a guy like me. And so I started becoming a planning center evangelist. <laughs> you know, when God took me down to Bayfield to work with the team there, we integrated planning center into every part of ministry that we did. And we used it for our child check-in process, uh, for online registrations. We built a, a thriving small group called using their plug-in for that. And, and so I was loving it. And it was like a, a little bit like lining up those soda cans and making everything face forward. That's what it was like for me. And it was putting a structure in place to make things run more smoothly and efficiently and, and, and be able to communicate better. And it, to me, it was more beautifully. <laughs> and so Brent knew this about me. And, and, and we were gonna, he was going to have me present Planning Center and the software to the council when I got here um, this month. But as he tells it, so at their last council meeting, which is a big deal, you know, they've been doing this for 20 years. They're at the last council meeting. I'm sure he's emotional, you know, and, but so the Holy Spirit, I love Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit did this for me. He spoke to Brett during that meeting and he said, 
Brand, I want you to bring up Planning Center. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> he did. And unanimously, the council decided, let's do it. And so I kid you not, I kid you not, I was, I, that day for me, Brent called me right after council meeting. So it was a little bit later because that was a late council meeting, right? You guys went over. And, and, and so I had just finished a very physical day of unloading our house. We we're moving, we we're in the process of moving, getting prepared for the big move up to South Dakota. And I was driving when I got the call from Brent. I was covered in sweat and dirty um, from the day. Brent calling me and told me, and I tell you, I am not lying. This is not a fib. I cried. Happy tears. <laughs> when he said the council, I said planning center. I was like, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. And so it moved me to tears. <laughs> and so, so now, you know, I have several other people that I've told about the wonders of planning center in our, in our church uh, family, in our district, and who are now just as happy and delighted as myself. And the feedback we've been getting here has been great. And so, you know, now, I, it, why are we talking about this? Because, you know, once, for me, when I became a taker, I, bec I became a proclaimer, right? We were talking about this last week. Once you taste and see, you just can't help but get excited. And that was me with Planning Center. And I don't know about you, you know, maybe some, some of you might be able to, to maybe, be, be, if your personality fits it, declare the wonders of Planning Center too, but that was me. And so um, why, why are we talking about this? Because we entitled this series Worthy, we ascribe worth to things all the time, right? And every single one of us declares to the world something that is worthy, worthy of our time, worthy of our money, worthy of that social media push, um, you know, all those things, the accolades, we text about it or sing about it. Um, bands do this all the time. Restaurants do this all the time. Clothing companies do this. So hopefully, you know, the amount of time and the effort that we give to these things are in line with their appropriate values, right? And so some of us were ascribing way too much worth to the things that aren't worth you. You're, you're, you're too precious for that. And so the best of life is when we give all of ourselves to that which is most worthy. That's what we're talking about, of our time, of our energy, of our money, of our voice, of our lives. And, and so what we've been talking about in this series is that God is the most worthy thing in all of existence. And so Paul opens up the book of Ephesians. Last week we did this, read this by saying, blessed be God. God is worth celebrating. And we talked about it last week. Paul starts giving the reasons why, and he starts pouring out this incredibly long sentence. And it's this paragraph that's one sentence. It's horrible grammar, but it's good theology. And Paul had, Paul had tasted and seen the goodness of God, and he could not be silent about how amazing that he is. And so I want us to be proclaimers of God. I want us to go there. And I want you to sing about him in here. And I want you to talk about him out there. And I want you to love him and leverage your whole life for him. That's what I want for all of us. And so some of you hear that and you hear it as an obligation. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to worship God. So praise him. Hallelujah. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. So, you know, it's my spiritual act of worship. And, and that's not what I want. So what needs to happen if you really want to proclaim him worthy? You got to taste and see that he's good. So it's interesting in the book of Ephesians, there's only one command. I talked a little bit about it even in worship in the first three chapters, and it's the word remember. Paul asks us, before he asks us to do a thing, he says, see what God has done. He says, take a look at what God has done. And before he tries to influence your practice, he says, get some perspective on who your God is. And so I want you to be a worshiper with your whole life, your career, 
your body, your mind, and your soul, but I'm not gonna uh, be able to force you into that. I just want you to taste and I want you to see. And because once you do, I don't have to tell you, it's gonna be an automatic response. It's gonna be, because we ascribe worth to things all day long, it's, as soon as you taste and see, you'll already be there. You're ready to worship, you were made for it, you were created for it. And so Paul is celebrating the gifts of God in the verses we read last week, celebrating that he is good, celebrating all that God is doing in Jesus. He says in Jesus a lot in this book, that Jesus was not just a good teacher, he was not just a, a moral revolutionary, and he wasn't just a shining example, um, but he, was, he, he, be, he came to redeem us before the foundations of the earth were laid. And God was choosing people through Jesus to be adopted. We talked about adoption last week. To be forgiven of all of our guilt. To be washed clean and made blameless. To be wrapped in God's love. To be given inheritance in the family of God forever. To know the majesty of where history is going, culminating in the person of who Jesus is. And to be, to be sealed with a stamp that no matter what happens in your life, you are forever his, loved and protected by him. So that, in a nutshell, was last week, and that's why he's worth celebrating. So today, as we move forward, there's, there's still no command verses, which is hard for the doers in the room. You know, because some of us, we have our pens out, and you're like, okay, worship was fine, that was a nice song. Um, okay, just tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? We got our pens out, you ready? Okay, here we go. And we're not gonna tell you, not yet. Because Paul has some things that he wants us to understand first. And the first thing on your note, sir, is you need to understand who you are before you come to the place of knowing what you're supposed to do. You need to understand who you are. That perspective changes everything. And so Deanna and I, we celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary this year. And yeah. And I remember very early on in our marriage getting a call from Deanna. So, uh, we, we, we had just moved to Pier. We were going to our home church where Brent happened to be the worship pastor. And I, I started, uh, I was playing drums on the worship team with him. Um, but she was there. She was working at the American Cancer Society. And as she was at work one day, she was going across the office to make some copies. She spotted a four-pound, filthy, dirty, matted Yorkie Terrier in a dark room with a leash wrapped and tied around her neck. It was a sad, sad sight, and, and her name was Wilma, and she was in a dirty crate with a blanket that was so, it was crusty, it was, to the, it was hard. It was crusty and hard. And so, one, one of Deanna's coworkers was trying to rescue Wilma. She was a breeding dog that had stopped um, producing puppies, having, stopped having babies. So the previous owners um, were gonna put her to sleep. And uh, this person had taken her to Pier to give her to another person in, in kind of a, a rescue fashion, but that situation wasn't working out. The dogs that she had didn't get along with Wilma, and, and so they didn't know what to do. So I'm sitting at home and I get a phone call. Deanna calls me, and can you imagine what she said? What did she say? Can we keep her? Can we keep her? So in my mind, immediate answer was, no, <laughs> we, were, we were brand new, we we're newlyweds. This is before kids, but you know, I, could, I could hear the excitement in my bride's voice and I'm thinking, we're barely putting food on the plate for us. How are we gonna feed a dog? You know, I'm thinking about all these things, you know, and I, but I just heard her passion and I, I just said to my bride, okay, you can bring home the dog, you know? And, and a friend of Deanna's was a groomer and she called, called him up and he came in after hours to bathe and groom Wilma and he cleaned her um, cage out 
and uh, gave her a new blanket and charged us, I think it was like 30 bucks. And so Wilma came home looking like new, and this is a picture of Deanna and Wilma. <laughs> and um, we, we brought, brought the little dog home and, and we knew little of her past. But we heard um, she was missing most of her teeth, her tongue was hanging, always hanging out the side, and she had bite marks and pieces of her ear were torn off. And so as soon as we got her home, Wilma was hiding under Deanna's leg and she would just shake. It was very obvious that she did not trust me or any other male person that came around and really almost no one except for Deanna. And so every time I'd come around, Wilma would cringe and she would just act terrified. And so um, for the next couple of weeks, I would go to pet her and she would flinch. It's like I was going to hit her. And, um, or we'd call her by name and she'd just pee a little bit out of stress. I mean, it was that bad. And so Deanna took her everywhere. She had a little handbag and she'd carry her and she went to Walmart, she'd go to restaurants and nobody would even know that she was there. She wouldn't do a, she was so small. And so we're looking at this and it's easy to come to the conclusion that this dog had an experience or a set of experiences that were pretty negative. And she would, she would sit in the corner and she would shake and Deanna would sit down and lift her up and put her next to her and she would still shake. Um, and, and it's interesting because her situation had changed. You know, right? Because, um, you know, in the moment that I said, you know, bring her home, she was adopted into our family. And she's our dog. So, you know, you belong to Deanna and I, and we're not going to hit you. We, we don't beat you. We don't speak harshly to you. We feed you. We take care of you. And we give you a home and we love you. You know, that's what we're trying to say to Wilma. And yet her actions were not consistent with her new home and her actions were consistent with whatever her old home was. And she was reacting in a way that was inconsistent with my character and inconsistent with her new identity. Her activities were rooted in her old identity, right? And so what happened? It just, it just took time. You know, give, give her some time and let her, let her see my heart, let her see Deanna's heart and give her some space to see over the months. You know what? These people keep on feeding me. Yet, you know what? Clearly, I should not have eaten that off of his plate. And yet, they did not freak out. You know, they let me sleep indoors. When they reach out, it's not to hit me, it's to pet me. And, and when they speak to me, it's not to attack, it's to train. And, and, and these people care. And the more time Wilma spent in our home, we watched her confidence go up, we watched her peace go up, and then we watched this sense of purpose come. We, that once she realized that these people love for me and care for me and I'm part of the family, she just started creating little jobs for herself. And she became Deanna's sentry guard. <laughs> so she would create a perimeter around Deanna and she would protect her from anything and everything. It didn't matter if it was a leaf, <laughs> a squirrel, or another dog that was three times her size. She would bark that thing down. And, and D, D, she was totally Deanna's dog to the end. And whenever another dog came around, she would bark them down and cut them off and keeping away from her precious Deanna. And she would, liter she would literally form this imagine imaginary perimeter around Deanna and kind of stand, or most of the time lay, guard. <laughs> and she, you know, good dog, right? Confidence, peace, and purpose. Why? Because she had time to accept who she already was the moment that we called her name. That's where we're at in Ephesians. Paul's going to pray for us. 
And it's another ridiculously long sentence in the original language, you know, bad, bad grammar, Paul, but he's so excited. And in his excitement, he's going to pray a prayer that a bunch of us pray over you here at Destiny every week. He's going to pray for us at the heart of it that you would know who you are because of who he is. And so he says in verse 15, that's where we're starting today, for this reason, he's pointing back to all the things we talked about that he's done for us in the first few verses there. And because I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I love that he's like, I'm about, I'm about to pray for you. Why? Because of all that Jesus has done to adopt you into his family and because you responded with the only thing that God's looking for from you, and that's faith, faith in him, not just in a message, but in a person, that you heard what God was doing in Jesus and you said, I trust him. I may not understand all the mechanics of it. I certainly don't know all the implications. But as I heard about Jesus, he was beautiful and I want him. And Paul says, I heard that you trust him and I heard of your love for God's people. And what I love about that is it's not their love for, it's not their love for the saints that makes them believers, but it's believers that become lovers. Because the great evidence that you've been touched by God, and we'll get into this later in the book, but it's that you show God's grace to other people. And so Paul says to the Galatians, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. And he told Timothy, when he's talking to Timothy, the goal of our instructions is this, it's to love. I'm teaching you so that you'll trust Jesus. And as soon as you do, faith becomes love. It just does. And so on your notes, grace received becomes grace extended. Grace received becomes grace extended. How do you know that someone has truly absorbed the gospel? They start loving all of God's people, not just the ones they like, <laughs> but all of them. And that's how you know the grace of God is at work in somebody's life because faith becomes love. And so Paul heard that these guys had heard the message. You guys believe the message. And then it started to become love. He started to care about each other. And that's when I knew the message had really started to take root. As soon as I heard that, verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Nothing makes a pastor's heart happier than to hear people trust Jesus and then begin to love each other, right? And so Paul gets excited and he says, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And the substance of this prayer is verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And here's what's fascinating about this stuff. Paul doesn't ask for the additional blessing beyond what we talked about last week. He doesn't ask for any new things here. He doesn't ask for new stuff as he's praying. He says, I'm not asking God to do something new in your life. I'm asking God to help you understand what God's already done. So you don't need a new blessing in your life. You need a new clarity of what God has been doing in Jesus from eternity past right to now until forever, right? And he says, I'm praying for you that God, the glorious father, and I love that he grabs the name father because you've been adopted into his family, right? And I'm praying that the father would help you, the father of all things glorious. I'm praying that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So now what is it? It doesn't mean that you have a new spirit inside of you. No. Last week we read in the scriptures that we are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, right? And so that God says, when you put your faith in Jesus, the very spirit of God is in you and you're never alone. So what he's praying now is I pray that the spirit would give you wisdom and revelation. So wisdom is insight. He's asking that God would give you insight to know what's going on in this troubled world, right? That God would open your eyes, that he'd give you wisdom. And revelation is to turn the lights on. Something that was previously hidden or obscured now comes into view. That's what he's praying for you. So listen, what Paul's praying. 
He's doing it all the time, morning, noon, and night. Every time you come to mind, which is amazing that a pastor would do that, and he's saying, I'm praying for you all the time, and here's the substance of my prayer, that God would help you turn the lights on and see what? Him. And I want you to grow in your knowledge of him. You don't need another thing. You need more of him. You don't need another blessing. You need to rest deeper in the blessing that you have of being called into the family of God. (laughs) And so there's a big difference between knowing someone personally and knowing them from a distance, which makes me think of my buddy, Pastor Brent, traveling and leading worship. I've known him um, since I was uh, a teenager, you know, and he has a fan club. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, I mean, it's beyond just our six state district area, but he's such a great musician and a worship leader, amen? And, and he's been doing this for years, and he has people that follow him online that are checking in every week as he does um, the new crosswind worship trainings that he does on Thursdays at six o'clock. You know, and you, you can see that, you know, he's got it. He, he texted me the other week. He was so excited. He, his, his, you know, views as he was watching went over a thousand last week. And there are so many people in this region that know the songs he's written, right? And they're singing, they're singing the songs that are being released from this house. And so him and Tana have been releasing their sound and the musicians and the band, you know, that have been playing with them. I, I know that this is my experience. You know, when you play with somebody for a long time, you can just almost um, not even look at them. You know what they're going to do. And that's, that's what it's like for a lot of us that have been playing with him for a long time. We know his next move. We kind of guess where he's going. But sometimes I laugh and I wonder if those people that Brent leads on Facebook Live and that the worship events across, you know, the region, we just led worship at a a Holy Spirit conference a couple months ago. I wonder if they know him like some of us know him, you know, like like the pastor Brent in this picture, you know, the the one that's kind of at the junior high level of humor. We know him, right? There have been staff meetings and trips that we've gone on that the tears have just been flowing down our cheeks because we're laughing because of, we're cry, we're, we're cry laughing because of something that he did or said. And he just, once that happens, he just keeps on going. He doesn't let it stop. And so we who know him personally have a little bit different image or perspective, right? We know that. Not the people that are viewing him from afar or just see him lead worship at a conference. What about marriage? What about marriage? Deanna and I, we married in, in 1997. And I, thought, and I thought I knew Deanna when we got married. And, and here's the thing. I did. I did. It's not like I had sufficient enough information on her, all right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, just go for it, crazy love. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you got to know somebody, all right? That's a different sermon. But I got to know her. But it's interesting, 21 years in now, Confusion and disagreements that used to take three or four hours to resolve now take about five minutes. Why? It's not because our spirits are broken. It's not like, okay, whatever you say, dear. It's not that. That's not what happened. What happened is that early on, we loved each other. and, And I knew her, but in a lot of ways, we were still discovering each other as well. You know, and we'd ask questions. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you, do you understand, you know, where I'm coming from? You want to do that, but why do you want to do that? And so 21 years in, there's so much about each other's hearts back then that we just didn't understand because we had to take the time and we had to go away, you know, for some days and, and talk to each other and turn off all the screens and just look at each other and talk. That's a thing, you know? And, and, and so we, the more we talk, the more she knows my heart and the more I know hers and the more we trust each other and the healthier our marriage is. Why is that? Is it because of, because of some new thing that we introduced into the picture? No. 
It's because we keep going back into the old thing. And I'm not calling you old, Deanna, if you're listening to the message. <laughs> We're going back to the root, right? Paul is saying, I pray that you understand what you got. So how did our dog, Wilma, how did she get more comfortable in our home? It wasn't obsessing over her, her identity. Like, what are my spiritual gifts? What, are my, what is my offering to this home? You know, am I pulling my weight around here? She wasn't asking those questions. What if they don't like me? You know, how do I know? What are my approval ratings? She wasn't asking those questions. She didn't do any of that. So how did she become more peaceful and more purposeful? <laughs> was it by navel gazing? No, it was by gazing up. The more she saw us, the more she became who she was meant to be. And the more she had the liberty of self-forgetting and knowing the heart of her parents, the more it set her free. That's why Paul doesn't just pray for a change in your circumstances. Listen to this. The best prayer for you is not a change of your circumstances. Although you can do that, the best prayer is a change of perspective. That, that perspective that will endure regardless of change in your life. Let's pray for that this morning. Because we all know, right, that we can, we can take something like peace, as beautiful as it is, and we can mess that up. Because you can have money and you can have the job that you always wanted and still be anxious, right? And so Paul prays the best thing that he can for you, not just a change in circumstance, but a change of view. How are we going to do that? By knowing him and going deeper into this relationship. So specifically, Paul has given us three truths to dive deeper into. And that's where we're going. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What's interesting is, is that it's past tense. So it's, it's, it's a different way to talk about conversion, knowing God for the first time. And so Paul will say to the Corinthians um, in, in 2 Corinthians that the God who spoke light out of darkness has shown into our hearts to let us see the glory in the face of Jesus. And so that's how Paul describes becoming a Christian. What is becoming a Christian? Is it, is it promising to turn over a new leaf? You know, is it, is it getting your life together? Is it attending meetings? Is it reading a little pamphlet? No. What is it? It's that there was darkness and God said, let there be light. <laughs> you didn't really know God, but then God opened your eyes so you could see the glory in the eyes of Jesus. So... You know, what is conversion? It's, I see Jesus as lovely. I see him as beautiful and I trust him. And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you. He says, I want you to have hope. Understand the hope of your calling. He called you into this relationship and I want you to know how much hope that gives you. Some of us, you've, you've been in the church world for a long time, you know that the word hope means confident expectation, right? It doesn't mean the kind of wispy, well, I hope so, you know, type of thing that we hear today. It means I have a confident expectation. And he says, I'm praying that you understand when you get called in the family that you have a future. What's our certain future? The summation of the whole thing is in Jesus. And when I understand the hope of his calling, I get confidence. When I understand the hope of his calling, I get confidence. So do you know who you're linked up with? Do you, you're linked up with the hero of the whole story. 
of all things. And it's his victory. So that's where you're going today. It's, it's, that's who you're linked up with. And so when you understand that, man, I just hitched up with the guy that runs all history and he wins in the end. That gives you confidence. Confidence to face the day saying, I, I can't lose. You ever, you ever see those movies, you know, where, or the TV shows where there's a situation in the sports game where one team wants to duck out uh, for one reason or another and, and they tell the other team, whatever, do whatever you want today. We're tired playing. Our girlfriends are over there and we, we, we want to go. And so we've got some other plans and we want to duck out early. So when you get on that field, no matter what happens, you will advance. You're going to win. We're going to throw the game. When we play your guys, regardless of what happens on the field today, you win. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? So what, what do you do? What do you think happens when a team is told that? Um, you know, when the truth of it dawns on you, how do you play? You know, when you know that no matter how you play, no matter whatever your skill level is, whatever you do, that you can't lose. Do you play timid? No, <laughs> right? Because this is your shot. As soon as you hear that, it's like a John Woo movie. You know, everybody's jumping and diving and crashing and playing like crazy. And they're, they're playing to a whole new level. And they get done and say, that was the most amazing game ever. <laughs> and, and why? It's because knowing that regardless of what might happen or how badly you trip up, we win. That gives you a whole new level of confidence. And what Paul is saying, when you know that you are tethered to, when you know what you, who you're tethered to, when you really get to know that the God who runs all of history knows your name, you start walking with a little bit more confidence. <laughs> when I asked Deanna to marry me, she believed me. <laughs> and, and when the day of our wedding arrived, she wasn't nervous all morning. She wasn't, you know, in the room saying, I wonder if he's going to show. You know, do, do you think I should get that dress on, guys? Uh, has anyone heard from Sean? Is he going to be there? Uh, should I put this dress on? Should I do my hair or not? No. I told her, we're getting married. And she believed me. She didn't wonder. She didn't roll up to the church and let's, let's just stay out in the car for a second and see if he shows up. She didn't do that. She got dressed confidently and she showed up at church and she walked down the aisle and she was excited because she knew without a shadow of a doubt that I'd be waiting there at the altar. Why? Because she knew that I was madly in love with her. And, and that gave her the confidence to become this, you know, just walk in there and knowing that the union was coming gave her confidence as she walked. So when you understand the hope of your calling, you become a confident person. When you, you can wake up every morning and you can say, God sees me today. God has my purpose for me today. I am not in this city by an accident. I am not at my job by an accident. I am at my job by assignment. And so we go for, I'm not sitting here wondering, man, I wonder if my life matters. You know, where's my life going? Am I on the right path? Because if you're on the path with him, his path leads to victory. And he works all things together according to the purpose of his will. And he will work all things for the good of those who love him, right? And are called according to his purpose. So the more you know him, the more you know you. The more you understand your calling, the more confidence you have. My life is not an accident, right? And so, so much of what we say and do, come, uh, do comes up bubbling up from our insecurities. What am I supposed to do with my life? And Paul says, the more you know him, the more that question gets solved. And you wake up and you say, I may not understand it, but I know that I'm his. And I know that he runs history. And so I have a confident expectation that God is leading my life today. And, and he has purpose for me, even here today. 
And so strut down the aisle, girl, <laughs> because God has a plan for you today. God has a plan for you, and it should change the way that you walk into a room. It really should. And so he doesn't stop there. Verse 18, he says, I pray that you'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, that doesn't mean the riches that he's going to give you. That means the riches that you are to him. What he's saying here is that in the Old Testament, he used these words a lot. He used to call them my chosen people. They're, they're my portion. They're my inheritance. You guys belong to me. You are my precious inheritance. And so what he's praying here is that you understand how much God values you. That he's, he, he's praying that you would understand that he cares for you and, what, and that that changes things, right? And so what I want you to write down for this one is when I understand the riches of his love for me, I get peace. I get peace. We're like Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob came uh, from the line of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And God meets Jacob out in the desert at night. I'm, I'm going to Genesis 28 if you want to read along. Verse 13. And he's lying on the ground. And God comes to him and repeats to him the same promise that was given to Abraham and to Isaac. And now he's passing it on to Jacob. So it's, it's the great promise of the Old Testament that God was going to use their family, not based on their activity, but based on his purposes. And so God tells him, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And it says, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in his place. We go down a few verses to verse 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. What? Did you just hear what he just said? Jacob, you're gonna have offspring and so that means he's gonna keep you alive and he's gonna feed you and you're gonna get married and you're gonna have kids and your kids are gonna have kids and your kids are gonna have kids. And it says, there's so many that it's like the dust of the earth and you couldn't even count all of your people and there's a blessing to every family on this planet and it's through you and God is gonna give you property. God's gonna use your life. And, and, and you go, well, if he promises to give me some bread, I'm gonna give him some money. And, and our response is, brother, you're a king. You're a king. Don't come to God in a response with, you know, Father, you know, might we have some porridge? That's not how you come to God. And so, so many of us come to God that way. Our prayers are so small because our self-evaluation is so small. And so Paul, rather than praying that you'll get a job that'll make you feel good, he prays that you know who you are and that will impact how you walk into that job. <laughs> Do you understand how valued you are? I'm praying that your eyes would be open so that you would understand the riches of his inheritance and his people. And I'm praying that you would know that he loves you because when you know that he loves you, you have peace. 
And the last one, it's in verse 19, his immeasurable, his incomparable power towards us who believe. I'm praying that you have hope because that will give you confidence. I'm praying that you know his riches because that'll give you peace. And the last one, I'm praying that you know his power because that will fuel your purpose. It fuels your purpose. Paul goes off on this part and he doesn't just pray, I pray that you know the power, but he says, I pray that you know the incomparably great power for us who believe. And I, 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 it's like, I just, I don't want you to just know his power. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power that he's working into your life. And it's pretty cool here, I think. The word greatness is the word megathos. It's, it, it sounds like a creature in a movie. Oh no, it's megathos. <laughs> you know, right? And he's probably big and he's probably fighting Dwayne Johnson. And, and it, it's where we get the word mega. And, and he's praying that you know the megathos of his power. But he doesn't just say megathos. He says, and we translate it incomparable or immeasurable, but it's the combination of the word bala, which means to throw a new pair, which means over. So he says, I'm praying that you know that there's greatness and that there's get up on over here greatness. God's power is not just megathos, it's take megathos and uper bala it, <laughs> okay? Get up on over. It's, it's a level of power that you don't have any idea for. Oh, you know, it's kind of like, no! It's, it's not kind of like anything, it's kind of like something else that we haven't experienced or haven't seen before. I pray that you know the immeasurable power towards us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength. I love it, he's saying it's consistent with the power of the power of his power. That's what he's saying. <laughs> he just uses three synonyms for the word power. And he says, I hope you understand the megathos of the hyperbola of his power and that you would understand that it's consistent with the power of his power of his power. <laughs> and, and so that's what Paul is saying and they're looking at him like, Paul, we got it. And he's like, no, I don't think you do. That's why I'm praying. <laughs> so how do I even put my mind around the enormous capacity of his power? Verse 20, it says, the power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. God beat death. And so what do you think that means for whatever enemy that it is that you're facing? Whatever the greatest thing that it's your fear right now, it doesn't stand a chance. If we keep reading, it says that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, not just raised him from the dead, but seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Jesus passed every living thing and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So he rules over everything and he's connected to you like a head's connected to a body. This is great because when the Ephesians first came to know Jesus, their great fear in Ephesus was a fear of spiritual powers. 
So they took all of their ancient scrolls and their old statues and things they used to be afraid of, and they were, the spirits of their ancestors will curse us. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we've got to follow these scrolls or the gods will be angry at us. That was their perception. They were so afraid that much of their life was just kind of controlling damage. And so Paul writes, Jesus is far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. There are things that used to have power over you, but they're not more powerful than him. And you're with him. <laughs> the things that used to have power over you don't anymore. And so some of you, maybe, maybe that's spiritual things. Maybe there's, you feel like there's this spiritual darkness around you. So hear this. There is no spiritual power that is not under his dominion and his authority. And you are his. Some of you, you know, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you feel it in their heart that there's this lingering fear that the sins of my family, the bloodline, the flaws in my blood are going to come and chase me and follow me and doom me. You know, it's, it's happened. My, my, my father was an alcoholic. My father's father was an alcoholic. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you know some of, for some of you, maybe it's an addiction. And, you know, I've got some yearnings in me that I've asked God to take away and it just doesn't seem like he has. And it's just a matter of time before I break every promise. And that's kind of what you, you think to yourself. So addiction, family drama, spiritual darkness. We have some things that if we're honest, we believe the lie that they have power over us. And what Paul is saying, everything that has power over you, he has power over it. And you're his. Yes. Amen. So the stronger one is here. Megathos. And so you have hope and you have peace and the things that used to have power over you doesn't anymore. I remember reading the book Pilgrim's Progress growing up. Pilgrim's Progress was an allegory that John Bunyan wrote about a guy named Christian walking on the narrow road that leads to life. Um, he was going to the eternal city. So it was an allegory of what it is to know Jesus. But John, the author, rests with almost a, a almost a debilitating, not just a, a depression, but he, he had this belief that God was just going to kind of let him go. He, that, that he, that John was too big of a sinner. You know, he made too many mistakes. And so it's interesting that plays out in Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read it before. So as, as the main character Christian is walking al along the road, almost every trial that he comes across, it, it almost kills him every single time. And so at one point, he gets to a castle called Doubt, and there's, there's, there's a giant there called Despair, and Despair grabs Christian and locks him in the castle of Doubt, and he can't get out. And so that was the picture that John had of his life. Despair and Doubt were coming after him, and they were bigger than him, and they grabbed him, and they locked him up in a prison where he couldn't get out. So, but in his account, he said, I remembered after many days a key called promise. And that was the promise of God. The key unlocked the castle of doubt and he was able to escape with his life. And that was Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I think years later, the better story came out and John wrote a sequel. Now, not, not very many people have read the sequel. Hardly anybody reads it. It's not talked about. But John wrote it when he was a little bit older and he had a little bit deeper relationship with God and had, I think had maybe had a better picture of who God was. And so he writes it and it's about Christiana and her kids. And she was a Christian woman and her children who were walking along the same path. But it's interesting as John got to know, the author got to know God better, she walks the same path, but as she enters into the family of God, one of the pastors in the story tells her, you're, you're gonna walk down this journey and there's gonna be some trials. But I'm sending you with a guy named Great Heart. And he's here and he's gonna walk with you. And so she starts walking 
and great hearts there and everything in their way, he's just crushing. And what I love about it is that as John tells a story, later they show up at the castle of doubt, the same doubt that Christian came to, and they see the giant of despair and great heart says, oh yeah, I've heard about this guy. And you know what he does? <laughs> great heart pulls out his sword, he cuts off the giant's head and he burns down the castle. And he says, you ready to keep on moving? Okay, let's, let's go. And, and it's a little crazy. You know, why so violent, John? <laughs> but the more John knew of God, the more he knew of Jesus' power. Yes. And he said, the things that used to crush me, where I would barely get out of life, where I'd barely escape, I got more and more confident because I knew that great heart was along on the journey with me. And the more you know who God is, the more confidence you have. And my old problems are not my new problems. So Jesus tried to help us understand this. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry what you're going to drink, um, you know, what you're going to wear. And he says, the nations worry about that, but your father knows what you need. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, you're in a different class now. You belong uh, to the father. So you come from good stock. <laughs> So yeah, it's logical for people to worry about things, but your God is going to take care of you. So let that peace rest on you. And let's not stop there at peace, but how about purpose? He gives you purpose. And he says, so sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And if, if we know we're going to be okay, that frees us to take care of others. So when I understand the hope of his calling, I get confidence. When I understand the riches of his love, I get peace. When I understand that he is head over all things, it gives me purpose. His power is taking care of me so I can take care of them. And so the first followers of Jesus understood this. You know, how did that little fledgling group of people who believed that a carpenter lived and died and, and rose from the dead, how did they take over all of Rome? You ever think about that? How did that happen? And what's fascinating about church they believed um, what the New Testament said, that Jesus being seated on high and the power shows up through all the Testament. You see that idea all the time. And it wasn't just, you know, rising from the dead. He was seated on a throne above all, and they believed that. And so because they believed that, you know, my God reigns, he rules, it liberated them to move with confidence. And so in the early church, when plagues would break out um, in the cities, everybody would take off because that's what you do, right? A plague hits, we're going to get out of here. But the Christians said, my God is going to take care of me. And so I'm going to take care of the sick. They're made in the image of God, so I will care for them. It might cost me my life, but I know where I'm going. And so Rome didn't know what to do with that. They were laying their lives down, and it struck them to the core. Little girls were not seen as valuable in, in, the, in the culture at that, at that time. And so if you had a little girl, it was legal to put a baby out in the street corner and let it die of exposure and to be picked up, you know, by a brothel. And the Christians thought that that was abhorrent. So, you know, those little girls have value and they're made in the image of God. And so they, they wrote a bunch of hate blogs. No. You know what they did? They said, if you don't want those little girls, we'll take them. We'll adopt them in. And if you visited a church back in the day, it would be filled with the singing of little girls it would be filled with the singing of little girls who understood that they were loved. Because the people of Jesus looked like Jesus loving them. And they had confidence in the face of death. And they knew, we win. 
And so they were confident no matter what happened. And if death comes, I know the guy that mastered death. And if hardship comes, he works things together for my good so I can be free to love. And when you understand this and how much he loves you and how much purpose you have in him, there's a purpose and a peace and a confidence that the empire of God responded. You know, we don't have that. All of our successes did not give us that and we want him. And so a nation was changed because of it. So do you know what you have? And do you know who you are? When you walk into the office, when you walk into your school, you know that you're loved, knowing that you have purpose, and it will impact all kinds of things that you do. That perspective will determine your practice. And Rapid City will change when they see a people who know who they really are. And a nation can change when they see a people of Jesus who knows who they really are. So do you know him? God, open our eyes so that we can see. Let's pray. God, we sing a lot of songs of declaration this morning. God, and I, I just pray that it's deeper than just singing songs about our redemption singing songs of our freedom, singing songs of being holy, set apart, being anointed and filled. But God, I pray, Lord, that it would change how we live. It would change our view. It would change our perspective. Because when we see and we know you, Lord, it changes us and who we are. So if you're here this morning and you're at the place where where you're looking at your life and it just feels broken, it just feels like there's a place of lack, like you're thinking to myself, I ask those questions, what is my purpose? Do I really matter? Where am I at with my life? We have the answer for you and that that is the name of Jesus, the name above all other names, the name that is worthy than, than any other name. And so I just wanna give you an opportunity if that's you this morning with all of us praying, respond to that and if you would just be so bold it's not to embarrass you or anything but we we just want to acknowledge if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life would you just raise your hand here in this place this morning is there anybody that would say yes to Jesus amen let's pray this prayer together would you pray this after me father God I give you my heart I surrender all that I am to you Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving your life for me. Now I surrender mine all to you. Thank you for the purpose you give me. Thank you for the peace. Thank you for that confidence. You're a good, good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate those that made that decision this morning. Would you stand with me? Yes. Yes. There's a lot to celebrate in the kingdom of God. It says the angels celebrate and have a party when someone comes to Jesus. So, Father, we're just so thankful to be your people that are called by your name with a purpose, with a peace, and with confidence. So, Lord, as we go today, send us. We're sent ones. God, we are carriers of your name, carriers of, of, of your glory and your fame. 
So it's not about us, but it's about you. You fill us up so we can be spilled out. So God, thank you for filling us up. Thank you for meeting us here today. And as we go, Lord, be with us. Give us the confidence. Our boldness comes from you because we know who you are. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We have an altar ministry team that will be up here to pray with you and agree with you. Um, if you have any uh, further needs that you would like to have, they'd love to minister to you. Go out there and give them heaven.